Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We exist to be a community that seeks God and serves people. We're so glad that you've joined us today. And now let's get back to the podcast. Amen. So I don't know about you, but that scripture is one that is, it really packs a punch. If you read it, there's no two ways around it. It is, uh, it's quite powerful. And what I want to talk about today, so last week we were reflecting on John the Baptist, what his message was, what he was doing at the time. And this week we're going to focus on Mary, Jesus's mother. And I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. And like I said earlier, hopefully you can see the words and I got the margins over enough. But if not, don't forget you have a minimize button or you can move our faces around, however you want to do that. So what we are doing today, we're going to go through the life of Mary a little bit, the beginning. We're going to talk about what she was doing at this time. And just as this title says, this is called Waiting for the Kingdom. And in Waiting for the Kingdom, this is exactly what Mary was doing. By sharing this, what David referred to as Mary's song or Mary's hymn, we are seeing that she is waiting for the full effects of the kingdom of God, the reign of God to come on earth as in heaven. So without further ado, I just wanted to reflect a little bit on this, on this character that we have in Luke's gospel. And whenever you go to a nativity or anything that shows Mary, the mother of Jesus, you get the impression that she was soft spoken maybe, or that she's quiet and serene figure. But Luke has a different story to tell. Luke shows that Mary was a subversive and dare I say dangerous theologian. Uh, what she was saying would not have been received well at the time. What she was saying is in fact, very controversial. So the Magnificat is what this is called. Um, in a lot of church circles, maybe even your Bible has that title above this passage, but we'll just call it Mary's hymn or Mary's song. Uh, this song is viewed as dangerous and is actually banned in some countries today. For example, India, Argentina, and Guatemala, uh, people are not allowed to say or sing this in public. Um, it is viewed as dangerous. It is not acceptable because of what it says about the rich and the powerful. So Mary was getting into trouble in the first century and she is causing trouble still today. She is a dangerous character. So look out, Mary has something powerful for us to hear. But what is it that we wanna hear? Uh, even Bonhoeffer back in the 1930s had something to say about this in one of his sermons. It, the Magnificat, is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. Like I said, from the first century up through the 20th and even into our own century, this little poem, this song is just causing waves. But what makes it revolutionary? What you're going to notice in this, in these lines, in, the, in this verse is that there's a reversal of the traditional roles in society. It's not the rich, it's not the powerful, it's not the power hungry who are blessed, 
but it's going to be people who are often forgotten about that God is coming to rescue. So let's check, let's check out how Luke uh, lays this out for us. <clears throat> like I said, I was seeing if it worked for me, but you're going to probably need to minimize or move our faces if you want to see this all. Let's, let's look at this, especially the highlighted words. God scattered those whose pride wells up from the sheer arrogance of their hearts. So he scatters. He brought down the mighty from their thrones. God sent away the rich empty. So three words here. We're seeing the traditional roles in society of those who have power. People whose pride makes them arrogant. People who have uh, gotten to a throne or gotten to a place of leadership and maybe have abused that leadership. And even the people who might have exploited those who don't have anything. Um, it's really, it's really delicate here, but Luke makes no apology in what he says Mary is saying here. Mary is saying the arrogant, those who have ex who have received a lot of power and maybe even abused it, and those who might have even abused their own wealth at the expense of others. Scattered, brought down, sent away. Right away, you see this is not something that you can just go out in public and say, and people say, yeah, I think I agree with that. That sounds good. Because what if you are one of these people? What if you're somebody who's arrogant? What if you're somebody who's sitting on a throne and dominating other people? What if you are somebody who has an excessive amount of wealth and you are greedy? What if you are one of these people? Do you want to hear this message? Odds are you're going to see this message as a threat. Just as today, this poem is banned in some countries. It's banned for a reason because it's perceived as a threat. But here's where it gets even more interesting. It's not just what God does with those who have abused their power. It is also about what he does with those who have no power. God lifted up those of lowly position. God filled the hungry with good things. God helped his servant Israel remembering his mercy. He lifted up, he filled the hungry, and he helped his own oppressed and forgotten about people. This is a revolutionary piece of work. People do not get away with saying these kinds of things in a public manner and walk away praised and appreciated. They're often cast aside, they're ignored, or they're persecuted for saying things like these. And to, not only just to say these things, this isn't just a message about like, this lowly lady is going to tell the people in power how it is. She's saying, this is how God is going to deal with things. Because really, in, in God's kingdom, worldly power does not hold the same amount of weight that righteousness, that justice, that faithfulness hold. God is more interested in our hearts than our possessions, than our status, than any of our worldly power. 
In other words, no amount of money gives you sway in the kingdom of God. No amount of status lets you dictate how things are going to go in God's kingdom. No amount of cultural power is going to change the direction of how God operates in this world. It's not going to be like that. That's what Mary's saying. Let's continue here. So from here, we want to ask, how do we respond to Mary's intense message? There is no question in my mind that Mary is giving us a provocative message, but it's not just provocative for the saints, for the, sorry, for the sake of provoking. It's not provocative just for the sake of provoking somebody. I think oftentimes, it, you know, it's, it's fun to look at somebody who's got that challenging personality who doesn't mind like being blunt, but that's not what Mary's doing here. Mary is giving a faithful message. She's recalling the God of the old Testament and realizing that in this time, AKA in the first century in Judea, God is going to do something where these roles are reversed and people aren't going to be praised for their power anymore. Rather, it's going to be about the people who know how to release their power to give it up because that's a foreshadowing of exactly what Jesus is going to do. So how do we respond? This is the point I really want to drive home more than anything else today. If you get one thing out of today's message, if you want to know what Mary is talking about, we need to resist worldly power. And I see this at play in three ways in our lives. There's three ways. I see that there is financial power that's tempting. I see that there's political power that's tempting. And I see that's, that there's cultural power that's tempting. All of these have the ability to tempt us in some way. And especially in our culture and in our context, I think that these three things can really steer us off from what God is doing in the world. So let me just hit these ideas home a little bit. There recently was a story of a man who is seeking political power. And he claims the name of Christ. And interestingly, in his fight for political power, he said this, and I quote, I'd be happy to die in this fight for political power. Friends, that is worldly power. That is not kingdom of God power. Let us never confuse the two. Then I also want to tell you a little bit about financial power because in our culture, you know, we, we often view politics as, you know, this thing that we want to stay out of. Sure. But there are other, there are two other things that can really trip us up. And one of those is financial power in our country, especially we have this danger and I'm just going to name it for what it is. It's a danger of viewing financial power, equaling good morals. In other words, if somebody's rich, they must have done something right in their life in order to obtain that amount of wealth. Um, and if somebody's poor, then they clearly made some mistakes in life and they've messed up too much. And we, we equate wealth with morality. Good morality means you have what you need. Bad morality means obviously you messed up, so that's why you don't have anything. And of course, you know, I'm, this is a caricature. I, I can't imagine that people would outright express that, 
but I think in subtle ways it can work into our hearts if we're not careful. We may never say those words, but we might look at somebody else and say, the reason you don't have a lot is because you made X, Y, and Z mistakes. But God doesn't look at it that way. God is concerned about your heart. He's not concerned about your bank account. But then the third thing that can really mess with us is cultural power. And this is, again, one of those things we have to resist. Cultural power is something that, de- that we deem as a status that we can achieve that reminds us that we are above others. So in other words, for example, if you have, let's just say, a thousand followers on Instagram, then you might look at yourself and say, ah, at least I have way more than so-and-so has on Instagram. And if you even get X amount of followers on YouTube or Facebook, you become like a certified member of those websites. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, that kind of power can go to our heads and we can start to look down upon others. And if we do that, if we start to look down upon others, whether it's financial power, whether it's political power or cultural power, if we're looking down on others, we are going to find ourselves on that end of Mary's message to where God is going to remind us like, look, that kind of power is not how my kingdom operates. Because let me just tell you this, if I can boil it down to resisting worldly power, it goes like this. If we were meant to pursue political, financial, or cultural power with everything we have, Jesus would have said yes to Satan in the wilderness. If we were meant to do that, why would Jesus have said no to Satan's offers in the wilderness? So the question becomes, if we're going to resist as Jesus resisted those temptations, tempted nonetheless, how are we going to do that going forward? And let me just say a couple things. To resist worldly power, we cling instead of instead of clinging to financial, political, or cultural power, we cling to the one who gave up everything. Philippians chapter 2 is this beautiful hymn of how Jesus gave up everything. Who being in the form of God did not equate equality with God as something to be grasped. He became a servant to all. So if we want to resist worldly power, Instead of saying, I need to have X amount of money to be successful in life, or I need to have the approval of this person in government to be successful, we cling instead to the one who gave up everything. And that moment is realized in the cross. But the most important point, after we do that, we announce the king is coming. The king is coming. That's the message of Advent. The message of Advent is that Israel is this people that is messed up, yes, but they're also down and out. They don't have anything going for them. And they sometimes kid themselves that they can do something about their situation without God. But the reality is they need God in order to continue, in order to do what they were created to do. So if we're going to go into the world and announce the king is coming, 
does it mean that you can't have a decent amount of money in your bank account? No. But what it does mean is if I'm, an, if I'm announcing the king is coming, I am not relying on what is in my bank account. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, anybody can be tempted by money. And does it mean that you can't have some kind of say in the way things are going politically? No, that's not what that means. But what it does mean is, where's your hope? Is your hope in what happens in an election? Is your hope in what happens in the laws that are passed? What if instead, if you're announcing the king is coming, you're saying, this is a tiny bit of the reality, but the greater reality, the bigger picture here is that Jesus is Lord. That's the politics that matters first. And, and in the end, it is the only politics that matters. And then with cultural power, if you're announcing the king is coming, remember who your king is. Remember who your king is, because he is not the kind of person that sought popularity, that sought having a say in the way people are influenced. Instead, he was the kind of king that gave up everything. He is the servant king. So be like your king. Don't pursue cultural power. Don't look to get your social media boosted constantly. Don't worry about your image so much. Instead, remember that you are made in the image of God. Announce that the king is coming. So friends, how do we respond to Mary's message? Those three things. We resist worldly power. We cling to the one who gave up his power. And then we announce the king is coming. That's what we do. It's a very, very crystal clear message that Mary wants to give us. It's not about overthrowing those in power. That's not our job. We trust God to do the judging. It's not us. But I want to end by telling you one story. I told you a story, well, a brief a brief moment about somebody who is seeking political power currently, but I want to tell you instead about somebody who did this right. I want to tell you about Francis of Assisi. So many of you may have heard of him. Uh, we live in Cincinnati. There's a few Franciscan uh, churches around here and societies around here. But if you haven't heard of him, he's very well known for caring about the environment, for caring for God's creatures, but, and for taking a vow of poverty. But we, what you might not know about him in a historical sense is that he was a Christian who lived during the time of the Crusades. And during one of the Crusades, Francis was so fed up with seeing the way that Christians were treating other people made in the image of God. Because this group of, you know, church members were going after these Muslim people. And it was this horrific scene and horrific moment in church history that often is <laughs> reflected upon as like, wow, the church has messed up a lot in history. But Francis is so disappointed by the way things are going and the way that Christians are fighting and having war with other members, other people that are made in the image of God. He's so fed up with it that he decides he's going to sail across the Mediterranean. He's going to go to Egypt and he's going to try and initiate some peace. And this is a very dangerous move, by the way, because 
you know, Christians weren't happy with Muslims. Muslims weren't happy with Christians. They're in a war. And as he goes, he knows full well that his life could end by trying to do this. And he crosses the line and he goes into Egypt and he's brought before the Sultan. And before him, he, he says, I, I want you to know about Jesus, basically. I want to tell you the gospel. Would you be willing to hear me out? Would you be willing to follow Jesus? And normally, if someone tried to evangelize a Muslim in that time, they'd be executed. Francis wasn't executed. This man, this leader of the Muslims, could see that there, there was some wisdom in Francis. So he gave him a chance to hear. And he gave him a chance to speak the gospel. And Francis does this. And while he doesn't necessarily convert them to Christianity, he does begin this moment of peace potentially. And he's so excited that he goes back and he sails across the Mediterranean, Mediterranean again to talk to this church leader who's also leading the army. He says, look, I think there's a chance for peace here. But you know what the church leader does? The church leader is so wrapped up in military glory that he refuses Francis's offer for peace. And it leads to the third crusade. And it's a real shame because Francis lives the rest of his life basically thinking that he failed in this moment. But in that moment, he also realized, and history shows, that he was a lot like Jesus in that moment. He didn't pursue political power. He didn't pursue financial power, the spoils of war. He didn't pursue cultural power. He gave those things up and communicate peace. And in doing that, History shows a faithful man that at least brought the idea of what it looks like to bring peace to the world. What if that's what you and I are called to do? What if the things that we do might look like failure, but are wild successes in the kingdom of God? What looks like a failure to the world is oftentimes a seed being planted in the kingdom of God that will sprout into a to an incredibly productive and beautiful plant. These are the kinds of stories that we need in our time. We don't need more people pursuing political power. We don't need more people pursuing financial power or cultural power. We don't need that. That's what the world does. That's what the world's been doing since the time of Jesus and even before. Why not instead try and mimic and follow the pattern of Jesus by laying aside any power that we have and pursuing him relentlessly and even announcing to the world that things have changed because Jesus came and we are waiting on him to bring that change into its fullness. Will you join me? That's the question we can go to the world with. That's where you can go to your neighbors with. That's what you can go to your work with. So let me say a prayer, and then I want to send you out with a blessing, and then we'll stick around for a few minutes to chat. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much. One, that Mary risked so much by declaring what you're doing in this world.
by declaring that the normal way of doing things is not the kingdom way of doing things. We await the fullness of your kingdom. We know that it will come. In the meantime, we want to live in such a way that we declare the truth that Jesus is Lord and that we don't need worldly power to succeed, but rather we can testify to the true power in the world, power that is made perfect in weakness. Let us be like Mary, courageous and unafraid to share the truth. Let us be like that and show the world that there is something far better coming. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, let me send you out with a blessing as well. This week, I want you to go out. Let's all go out and declare to the world that Jesus is Lord. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be worried about whether or not we have power or not. Because Jesus reminds us that he has clothed us with power in the Holy Spirit. So don't be tempted by worldly power. Name it for what it is. Use the resources we've been given, but at the same time, remember that God has given us something far better. He has given us the spirit of Jesus Christ. It is in you. And that spirit wants to go out into the world and remind everybody that God is making all things new. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Go in peace, friends.